Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our show offers a friendly conversation with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by the Learn It family of companies, including Autism Spectrum Therapies, Trellis Services, and Desert Choice Schools, helping all children succeed in school and life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Autism Talk. I'm your host, Rob Haupt. I am the vice president here at Autism Spectrum Therapies. Uh, we're an agency that provides uh, services to kids with autism uh, and other, actually, other disabilities as well, um, you know, in the ABA arena. But I also do a lot of work with uh, the Learned family of companies, including Desert Choice Schools, Trellis, and Learned Systems itself. Um, Really excited about this week's show. Uh, it's one we actually uh, recorded a little while ago. I got to take a little bit of a vacation in the middle, which uh, which is always really nice. Um, but uh, but but it's a cool one, and I think it's one you guys are going to enjoy. Um, that focuses on a, a couple of different issues. Um, but before we get there, I you know just want to share a couple of thoughts, and, and one that's been uh, with me a lot lately is you know the you know over the the year years we've we've talked a lot about. Uh, you know, public advocacy. And, you know, it's one of those things that I, I myself haven't always gotten as much of an opportunity to do because I feel like I've been more of the uh, practitioner, more of the provider, thinking about things from a, a therapy, a, th- uh, a support point of view. And um, I got my first opportunity uh, with uh, recent events here in California on Medi-Cal to, to really step up and, and become more of an advocate and, uh, and, and speak up for, for AST, for the provider community and, and, and for families. And it was, it was a great experience and it was one that I really enjoyed. Um, and recently found myself trying to take that next step and, and get involved on a, on another issue. And it's, uh, you know, one that, that I definitely didn't enjoy as much. And it's one, I, I, I think it's largely because I didn't do as well in it. And it, uh, it, it kind of hit me, uh, you know, getting ready for, uh, for today's show and, and opening this up that, uh, you know, it's very easy to, to forget how challenging some of these new things and these new tasks we take on, uh, whether it be for our kids, our clients, our, our, you know, our community, um, and how easy it is to get discouraged. And, uh, you know, I, I'm constantly reminded by our guests and I, and I have to kind of stop and force myself to, to say it's, you know, it's okay. This isn't that bad. Um, when, when these setbacks occur, cause, cause that's how I feel right now is, you know, I, man, that, that didn't go as well as I wanted. I didn't quite articulate that point well enough or, or I'm not seeing the impact I wanted and, uh, and, and making sure to, to not get discouraged to the point where I don't keep trying. And I feel like that's something we, we specifically working with kids with autism and, and parenting kids with autism, um, everyone listening, could, I'm sure can relate to. It's, it's the setback that our kids are making, the setback I'm, I may have in, with the IEP team, uh, setback I may have advocating with my insurance company, setback in terms of the progress for the program I've just designed. Um, it's hard. And uh, I think it's good for us to remind ourselves that, you know, we're going to have these setbacks and, and we can't get too discouraged. We, we just have to take that moment to think about what we could do better. And 
I feel myself already shifting into how could I be a better advocate from from this public policy lens next time and and, and not really dwelling in all the things I did wrong. Um, but it's hard and and it's a challenge. Uh, so today I'm joined by Christopher Flint. Uh, Christopher began his career as a special education teacher. Uh, since leaving the classroom, uh, Christopher has had the opportunity to work on many exciting and impactful autism projects. Uh, he has trained over 10,000 professionals and parents um, and has led the creation of autism accessibility kits for public institutions across the United States. Um, Christopher is the founder and president of Action Autism, a humanitarian organization dedicated to supporting autism in developing countries. Um, and most recently, he is the founder and chief creative officer of Infinitech, a company that develops innovative digital tools for the autism community. Hey, Christopher, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, I, I always, uh, am interested, particularly when, when we get to talk to, uh, to tech people, cause it's, uh, it's like a foreign world to me. I, I feel like I have like the most basic of, of tech skills. And, um, for me, it's, it's not like the first thing I think of when I think of, you know, autism in the field, cause I tend to be a little more old school. Um, but, uh, but how did you get into autism? Like where, how did you get started in all of this? Yeah, really good question. So um, I actually started my career in autism by complete accident. I was a broke college student looking for work, and um, I saw a flyer on a wall that said, you know, part-time work needed for autism. I was in Wisconsin at the time. I had grown up in a really small town, and this was almost 20 years ago when, of course, autism wasn't as prevalent or known as it is mm-hmm. right now. Um, so I took the job, and it's the first time I'd ever heard about autism. I really didn't know anything, and I immediately fell in love with it. Um, I knew, you know, from that first child that I worked with that that's what I wanted to do with my life, and changed my major and uh, became a teacher. Wow. And and why, you know, it, it sounds like you you kind of got these two different sides and. You know, your story actually is similar to mine because I didn't know what any of this stuff was either. And autism, ABA, was like this foreign language. I just kind of right. like the idea of helping out kids. Um, mm-hmm. How how then the, the the movement to the technology side of things? Yeah, it was really interesting. So um, so then I became a classroom teacher. I also worked in the nonprofit sector, doing some international work, and throughout my career, uh, the rates of autism have increased six hundred percent since. 20 years ago, and that, yeah, that rate is alarming, and during that time, I think the rates of autism have definitely outgrown kind of the resources and opportunities for individuals with autism, and no matter how much training we were doing and working with kids, it's just, we could never do enough to kind of keep up with the growth and demand that was happening with autism. Mm-hmm. And so we started looking for other ways to do this, right? So instead of going individually to classrooms or schools or parents' homes, um, we said, what's a better way to disseminate this information? And when we looked around, the only thing that was really keeping up with this growth was technology adoption. And so uh, no matter where we went throughout the country or the world, people were having more access to smart devices and tablets. And we said, if we can put this best practice information, things we know work with autism, onto technology, we can reach almost everybody that we need to on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So when we think about that, I mean, I'm, I'm – 
are, you know, looking at whether it be, you know, your work at Infinitech or, or, or elsewhere, you know, are you guys really looking at this information? I feel like it can come a few ways. Like you can get information and therapy to the child itself, um, whether it be like games and apps or maybe like the video technology piece where, um, you know, I'm providing therapy through the technology to someone in a remote location, or is this more about resources mm-hmm. to the untrained professionals or parents who like, I want to learn this to help these kids? Yeah, so Infinity Teach is definitely about direct intervention to children. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and but at the same time, we're definitely building a platform that offers um, best practice autism information as well as strategies. And so our hope is, is that we can impact not only the students that are using mm-hmm. the app and learning and benefiting from it, but also the parents and teachers that are looking for resources as far as how to structure their classrooms, how to use best practice autism interventions. Um, but at the core of our mission is to give some, put something in the hands of parents and teachers that they can easily customize that will teach children with autism, individuals with autism, new skills. Got it. So it's, it's kind of, it sounds like it's almost like a combination, like there's tools that go directly to the child, but then there's tools that go to like the parent or the teacher as well to support it. You got it, right? So one of the things that we know about autism is the spectrum is incredibly wide. And so putting mm-hmm. out... Um, an app that you download and hand over to a child, you know, might hit some of the kids and be right at their yeah. skill level, but it's going to miss a lot of kids as well. And so one of the things that we found critical through our intervention is making things adapted and customized for each individual child. And so what we do mm-hmm. is we give the parents and teachers an interface to set up uh, custom student profiles. And so mm-hmm. these teachers and parents know their kids best, and so they can input information about that student's age, about their ability level, about some of their sensory needs, about what kind of skills they're working on. Mm-hmm. And then from that, the mm-hmm. um, app takes over, algorithm, build those lessons for the students. And so um, we have this kind of right parent, teacher, adult side, and then the student side as well. And then on the parent side, we also have the data collection piece where they can go and monitor and make sure that the students are making progress. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess, you know, you kind of start to talk about it with the customization piece. You know, w- whenever I hear about technology and I kind of think about these types of programs, like immediately that goes to, my, my head goes to, how does this fit the range? You know, we have such a spectrum of, of mm-hmm. autism, you know, where kids with so many diverse functioning levels, you know, is this, you know, are, are there any almost like prerequisites, I'm wondering, in terms of skill level um, or are you finding that this is uh, a broader tool and that that individualization on the parent or teacher side is like the most critical component? Yeah, really good question. So I think, you know, prerequisite skills that we're looking at and we've had the opportunity. So we mm-hmm. have one version of our product out and we're working on the second one um, currently. So our first version was really focused on preschool skills and building customized mm-hmm. lessons and having the students do them. And what we found as far as prerequisite skills was the motor skills needed to use an iPad were pretty much the only prerequisite skills. So if you were able to, you know, touch and drag on the iPad, then you were able Mm -hmm. to complete lessons on it um, the way that we had them structured. And so we had plenty of examples of classrooms and parents that we talked with where their, you know, children or students were never able to use an iPad before because they couldn't, Mm-hmm. Um, figure out wh- how to use it or what to do with it. But as long as they had those motor skills, you know, clicking the right thing to um, circle, then they could benefit and learn from our app. Mm-hmm. Nice. 
And then is it, you know, have you found that it's more useful with like certain, I know this is kind of a misleading question in a way, but is there like certain ages? Mm-hmm. I know you said it was designed to the preschool level. So is it more, right. you know, are, are we finding more of the preschoolers or, you know, up into maybe that early elementary or is it really looking at just like developmentally where each kid is at, you know, not right. chronological yeah. age? Yeah. So we are definitely looking at developmental levels for these students. Uh, and so our next product that we're launching next month uh, in September is going to be kindergarten preschool through um, first grade common core skills. So we're looking nice. at kids between the ages of three and seven um, years of age. But we know that you know a, a percentage of these students are going to be at their academic levels um, with their peers. And so our curriculum would be for them as well. One of the big things that we really believe in is making things age appropriate for those older students that are still working on younger skills. Uh, there's just not a lot of mm-hmm. curriculum and content out there. Um, for a 17-year-old that's working on a kindergarten level. And so our app, again, allows you to customize those lessons to be appropriate for those older students that are still working on younger skills. You know, the thing I'm I'm curious about, which I think is really interesting, is, you know, I I have this vision of of how a lot of these, you know, programs work, you know, and and I always think of them as um, as like a – you know, like a follow-up tool or, or, or not a follow-up tool, more of like a part of a package. You know, ideally it's, mm-hmm. you know, I can only be in the home so much and a teacher can only be in front of a student so much. And, and you know, the way you guys are getting parents involved and giving them access to these apps and, and like it's a really, to me, it's a really cool little balance you can create of of really creating a, a very interesting um uh, like intervention plan, um, I'm curious, are you finding that families are using it more in that way where they're really building it into this like broader program? Are you finding that people in more remote areas who maybe don't have access to the services that, you know, you and I may take for granted being in like larger cities, um, you know, where they're using it to really like start to create a foundation? Are you guys finding like one happening more than the other? Yeah, so we are seeing a combination of both, for sure. Yeah, those are really, really good points. And so, one to your point, I think one of the biggest things when we, you know, set out to create this company and launch these products was figuring out how to tackle this continuity of learning, to have teachers and parents, schools and homes working together, because we know that consistency is key for individuals with autism, and the more practice, um, more the same mm-hmm. practice they can have across settings, the better that they're going to do. And so our platform actually allows parents and teachers to connect as collaborators, and so they can be working on the same skills through the iPad. And so the data is kept in the mm-hmm. same place, the skills are um, sent back and forth between teachers and schools. And so I think, right, so the the connection between schools and homes is definitely critical um, as a supplement, right? So, like you said, you know, parents yeah. are looking, always looking for extra things for their kids to do, more educational opportunities. Teachers are overloaded with paperwork and all of their students, and so <laughs> yeah. instead of putting them on the iPad to, um, you know, play a game or watch YouTube videos, here's something that they can do that's actually going to increase their students' skills. Yeah. You know, one of the things I thought was really cool, you know, when I was kind of prepping for the show and, and looking up uh, Infant Teach's uh, website, you know, I noticed you guys have a director of research. And I, and I um, you know, it's one of those things that I think some people kind of take for granted, but I know there's a lot of different groups I've spoken to and, and worked with who don't necessarily take that extra step of saying, like, you know, let's 
maybe put that extra level of, is this working? Um, and so I, I think that's awesome. It's just the mere fact that you have that position and you're thinking about that and kind of tying that into this like greater mission you have. Um, I, I was just curious, like, you know, are you guys, you know, are there are any, anything that you guys are working on from that research point of view to kind of show just all these like great results that, that you've had? Yeah, really good question, right? So research is critical to us that, you know, we are 100% committed to building something that works for the population that we're trying to help. Yeah. Um, if it's not working, then we'll we'll fix it to make it so it is working, right? So in order to do that, we do have to have research, we do have to have a good foundation of people checking out the app, looking at skills. And so we are um, involved, engaged in some early stage um, conversations and some beginning collaborations with a big research um, players out there. And so we had definitely down the road, there, there will be research at sure. the app. In the, short, in the short term, we actually have a really robust um, data collection system and backend that allows us to track users. And so we have our own internal research as well. So we can watch all of our users nice. and watch their skill progression all the time. And so we can internally see what's happening. And then externally, we can hand that over to researchers and they can do pre and post tests to really uh, work on the efficacy and make sure that we are making an impact. I mean, just as an ABA guy, I think it's kind of cool because you've got the, uh, you know, you've got the little single case design type of research mm-hmm. in, built into mm-hmm. the data that you've got for each of these kids, and then you can start to like put it together on a broader level and, and look at these like greater outcomes. I, you know, it's just like I said, it's one of those things that I don't always hear uh, different tech groups talking about is, you know, that plan of how do we get this out there? Because I mean, I, I'm sure you guys have talked about it. It's you know, it, it, it so many doors can get opened for any type of service, any type of product, any tool when you've got that research to go behind it. You know, whether it be getting an insurance company to pay for it, a school district, you know, you name it. You know, yeah, it's it's critical for us, and it's been an interesting juxtaposition too. In that, in the tech world, things move so fast, and we're you know building our apps and changing our apps on a on a daily basis, right? We can see that progress, and when we start looking at universities and research, you know, it's, things aren't happening in a day or, or a week or even a month, right? We have, we're looking at these right. plans for for research, and so it's been a really interesting kind of. Uh, look into how can we move fast with technology and create and make things that are going to help kids and change them based on what we've learned, but also have this longer-term vision of, you know, doing a multi-year study on kids. So that's been an interesting challenge for us. Nice. Yeah, no, I... I mean, I just can't help but laugh the way you're talking about like days and weeks and technology side. I'm like, the research side is like years. Like you're lucky to get a year movement. And, and I know for me, it's like I'm I'm a hands-on guy. I'm not a research guy, and I always find that very frustrating when I have to switch and move to the research side of what we do. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm you know kind of changing gears for a second. Um, you know, action autism. I, I, I must admit, I, I hadn't heard of it uh, before uh, getting ready for the show. You know, I, and I don't know of a lot of global um, autism movements, and you know, they're clearly needed. I, I, I feel like I get emails and you know messages all the time from people in other countries asking you know for a question, a resource, uh, for services. Mm-hmm. Um, How did you get that started? Yeah, really interesting. So we, um, so actually I was at a conference, an autism conference, and 
uh, during the conference, I had heard a woman from Nigeria speaking. And at this point, I was, you know, maybe six or seven years into my autism profession and had never really even considered global autism, right? I maybe I just assumed that, oh, yeah, like things are, you know, moving or improving all over the world. And hearing her story uh, really showed otherwise that um, there's very little services. And this was, you know, about, about 10 years ago, very little services uh, in her country. Uh, she had a son with autism and she had started a school. Um, outside of that, there was a lot of challenges, right? So getting these kids identified, getting them into schools, having places for them to go, as well as cultural uh, challenges, having people, um, you know, know the kind of the ideology of autism um, and, and all those types of things. And so she told this just really kind of wonderful, um, broad, yet very real story of what life was like for her and her son. And it really moved me. And I spoke to her afterwards and I didn't really know how um, we would do this, but I told her, we're, we're going to come and help you. I said, no, you are desperately seeking these resources, and we have some of the answers, not all of them, of course, but some of them, um, and we're going to come to Nigeria and help you. And so that was kind of the beginning of all of this, of thinking, how can we help autism on a more global scale? Um, from there, we came back to uh, Chicago and realized that a trip to Nigeria at that point wasn't safe. Uh, so, but we started looking around at this idea of, you know, what's happening in other countries. And we started seeing that a lot of the developing world was having big challenges with autism uh, in terms of identification, in terms of treatment um, and mistreatment as well. And so uh, we happened to have some contacts in India. And that's how we made our first trip about eight years ago. Uh, took a volunteer team over there to provide autism resource education in terms of made about six or seven trips to India and then um, have done some work in Africa. Wow. So, I'm, I'm just God. I have so many questions about this because I find it this, this yeah. side of things really fascinating. Um, you know, I, I from what I could see, you know, it, it's it's a great model. It, it seems like it's it's a very hands-on type of training where you're providing therapy to the kids as well as mm-hmm. intervention, or, or I should say, uh, training to like other professionals. I mean, it's yes. that great ABA model where like you leave something behind. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious, like I, I'm, I'm, I have an assumption here, but let me ask, um, how are you finding that fidelity of training and more so are you seeing it kind of spread when you do your follow-up visits? You know, I know you said you've taken like a number of trips to India. So, you know, how are you seeing that progress in terms of um, what you leave behind um, each trip? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. And so we've, you know, going back to the research question, we were really interested in that as well and thinking, well, if we're going to, you know, raise the money, um, you know, as a nonprofit and make these trips and, mm-hmm. you know, people take their vacation time to go and help these countries, then we better know that what we're doing is working. And so right. we, you know, devised some research studies that we actually presented at Jimfar as posters wow. to really look at kind of the fidelity of what we're doing and making sure that we are making an impact on these countries. And I will tell you that we have been able to, to do that in um, pretty small ways, and it has been pretty slow. So, you know, when we're looking at, um, you know, Southeast Asia or India, I mean, we're looking yeah. at billion people, <laughs> you know, so in rates of autism, you know, even one in 100, looking at tens of millions of people with autism, most of which haven't been identified and aren't receiving yeah. services. And so, so progress has been really slow, but, you know, anecdotally, this, you know, the schools that we go and visit and work with on a year-to-year basis and the teachers and professionals and parents, I mean, those stories are extremely powerful. Um, you know, schools that have completely transformed themselves into, you know, places where kids used to go to have a safe place to 
the educational institutions where kids are going to yeah. learn new skills and get out in the community and learn job skills and, and all those wonderful things that, that we've been promoting over there. Yeah, I can't imagine it being something. I mean, that's why I kind of asked the question is like you're, you're starting from, from nothing. I mean, you're starting from a yeah. desire, maybe. <laughs> and and I, I, I mean right. maybe because I'm sure there's people who are, have a desire, but I'm sure there's people who just have no idea what you're talking about, why this is something they should be doing. I mean, it truly yeah. – and that's part of the global thing that I find interesting is it, it's, like, it's like the true baseline of zero. Like how long does mm-hmm. it take people to come in and do all of this? So just – just to hear that there's anecdotal stories and, and the idea of, you know, it's like if I could get one person to really be well-trained and motivated and keep this going as a career, like that seems like a huge success to me when you're starting at some of these, you know, low baselines. Absolutely right. Yeah. So getting people excited and the information they want. And I think what you're saying is exactly true that, you know, our most important asset in all of action autism is our partnerships. You know, it's schools and parents that want something better, not only for their own children, but for the countries that they live in. And so we've been able to identify these people mostly, like they do with you, writing to us and asking questions and seeking help. Um, And we've been able to, you know, connect with them and and go over there and, and really help them start something or further their mission um, to try to get something done. So, But the numbers are really, really huge. It is daunting. It is a baseline. We yeah. took our first trip to Africa last year. Um, so we went to Lagos, Nigeria, which is one of the largest okay. cities in Africa, um, you know, 15 to 20 million people, depending on who you talk to. Um, and there's literally only a handful of identified kids in the whole city, um, you know, probably right. less than 100, um, you know, maybe one or two schools working specifically for autism. And so it, it is a really big job. And, and outside of this kind of core group of parents, you know, really there is little information and there's a lot of misconceptions all the way from mm-hmm. uh, people thinking about, you know, demons possessing kids causing autism. Um, bad parenting is still, you know, people uh, commonly held belief among people. Um mm-hmm. Thinking autism is contagious. We've had, you know, kids with autism that have gone to birthday party parties at relatives' house, and they'll take a bite of cake, and the host of the birthday party will throw the cake away and won't let anybody else eat it because they don't want other kids to catch autism. Wow. So there's a lot, a lot of hurdles to overcome to to help with a cultural understanding and um, acceptance of autism. I, you know, you you mentioned acceptance, and I'm kind of curious. You know, having it's funny actually. I have a friend whose husband is is born in Nigeria, and I've heard a little bit of, of the cultural piece. Um, and I'm just curious whether in, in any of these in, um, trips you guys have taken, you know, I always I, you, you hear about the stigma at times of uh, America and the rest of the world, and, and how sometimes we're viewed by other countries and other communities. Um, you know, are there any hurdles about being uh, this American group of people to come teach people about autism and um, being viewed as outsiders as you're trying to break this? I mean, <laughs> people think that this is a demon. I mean, what we'll talk about a stigma to have to break and then be not right. of that community. Um, have you have you faced any barriers? That's a really good question, too, and it's something that we were extremely sensitive to, you know, wherever we can. Um, so, so one of our roles within that organization is a cultural ambassador. And so what we do is find somebody from the country that we're traveling to that spent time wow. in America as well to kind of bridge that gap between the two cultures wow. and help us understand, you know, when we're going over there, how do we need to 
tailor our presentations or our behavior to really help them the best way that we can. Um, so that's one of the pieces that we do. And then the other piece is, is that we only go to places, you know, people that we have a really strong relationship. Most of the people that we work with, okay. we bring to the space first to meet them um, and form a relationship mm. and like bond with them um, to make sure that, that they're really serious and really want us to come. And so when we've been over there, we've felt nothing but, you know, acceptance and, um, and thankfulness for, for our work over there. So, But I think it, it took a lot of work on our part and a lot of sensitivity to be able to get there. Right? I think going in as the Americans with yeah. all of the information is probably not the best way to go about it. Um, and the other right. really cool thing is that we've, we've learned a lot from going to these countries as well, You know, probably almost as much as we've taught. You know, they're who's on autism and you know, the struggle that parents have gone through and their kids being successful. And we've been able to gain a lot of great information from them as well. So it's definitely a two-way street. You know, and, and that's. It's, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was actually going to ask. You know, whether it be on the uh, the work you do with Action Autism or even with uh, Affiniteach. Yeah. You know that. I mean, talk about remote locations trying to get access to services, which I know is a big part of of what you're trying to help support with with the um, technology we were talking about before. I mean, are there things you've been able to take in terms of? Ooh, you know, we gotta. We gotta switch this around. We've got this set up the wrong way, or we don't have the right like vision here to meet this mm-hmm. need. I, I was curious, like, if there were lessons like that you've been able to to bring back and change the model for any of of these different types of uh, programs you've been running. Yeah, yeah, really good question. So we, um, one of the kind of biggest lessons for me from actual autism has been there's a school in Delhi, India that has a phenomenal um, parent training component. And so what they realized really quickly is that, you know, these kids come to school for six hours a day or whatever it might be, um, and they go home, and parents have very little information or resources uh, to work with their kids. And so they actually have a three-month training program where parents come and actually live at the school and become teachers in that school, uh, working with all the kids to help with their autism understanding. And the, and the hope is, and the reality of what happens is that these parents go home as autism, they come as parents and they leave as autism therapists and parents. Uh, and so then when we started, you know, looking at our programs here, we saw the same thing that, you know, teachers have so many opportunities for training and advancement, and a lot of parents don't have those same opportunities. And so we started thinking, you know, how can we get more resources and training in the parents' hands? Because uh, a lot of what comes with autism education isn't as intuitive as raising a typically developing child. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, you know, one other one other thing I kind of was curious about, just you know, within all of this is, um, and you kind of talked about how you find some of the people in the other countries, um, but how do you find your volunteers? Like, I, I I've been you know I've been in the autism world for about fifteen years now. I've um, mm-hmm. you know I've I've seen different things. I go to different conferences, and I don't always hear about the the different projects that are going on. So like, how do you find like a you know a person like me who's like, yeah, let me use my PTO and and go and take this trip with you to uh, to do all of this stuff. And then once you find them, uh, is there any, you know do you have a, like a training program or anything like you do to kind of gear them up for uh, that proactive piece you were talking about before? All right. So that's definitely something that's in our work. Like I said, we're a really small grassroots organization. Um, you know, we run on less than $10,000 a year. And so, you know, and I guess the issue with that is that it's a much bigger problem. That, and like you said, there's not a lot of organizations working on the global autism piece. We're one of just a handful. Um, and so even though we're small, you know, we feel like we can make 
uh, an impact. But so as far as finding volunteers, these are mostly teachers and people that we know about that we've trained before. Um, you know, every time we do a training and we talk about action, there's uh, several people in the audience that you know have this passion for not only autism but also for kind of yeah. global causes. And so they'll come up and talk to us. And um, you know, from that, we've been able to grow our board from about four people to about 15 people now we have on our board, uh, as well wow. as our volunteers have grown every year as well. So, there's, you know, we have probably more volunteer people than trips that we're able to make, and that's mostly due to funding. I, I mean, I, to me, it's, it's exciting that you have that many volunteer people. I know, it, I'm sure it's frustrating from your end of, God, you know, we've got all these people, they want to do this, we got to get more <laughs> dollars. But it, to me, it's always very exciting to know that there's that many people who want to go and do this because... You know, it's just it. It just feels like such a big undertaking and a huge commitment. I mean, I have a friend who is who I believe just got back from Asia. I believe she was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't remember exactly where she was in Southeast Asia, but she was out there doing trainings and and teaching classes, and she was doing some ABA courses out there. And mm-hmm. I, I'm just so impressed by her saying, "Yeah, I'm going to take four weeks and go do this class." Uh, you know, because I can only imagine, you know, putting your life on hold, going out there. Um, it's just a huge commitment, and it's one that you know I always question. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm, I would really be able to do that. So I, I have so much respect when people do it. So to hear that you have that many volunteers, uh, I can't help but be, but pretty impressed by all that because of uh, what I know it really means from a commitment point of view. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and I think that you know it's one of the most amazing things for me being in the, you know, autism space is definitely the kids. Um, you know, my first passion working with students and, you know, all the wonders and delights that they bring, but also the amazing people that you meet. So, you know, the teachers and parents of these kids are so dedicated in so many cases to the cause. And, you know, if they're able to help in any way, we see them going you know, above and beyond in so many ways to, to help other people. And it's, you know, bigger than autism. It's this feeling of you know, how can we work together to, to make the world a better place? Yeah. Um, you know, in, in terms of, of, I know we talked a little bit about some of the projects you've got going on with Fit uh, Heach next. Um, in terms of action autism, you know, what's, what's next on the horizon for you guys? Do you have any, uh, anything that you're working on in the, in the coming year? Yeah, so Action Autism, we are working on, uh, we're actually working with Nigeria. So when we were over there, we got to visit several of the schools, um, the government schools, as well as some of the private schools. And the, one of the biggest challenges we saw was a lack of identification. So we were in you know, special ed classrooms that were, you know, one or two classrooms uh, in, a, in a mainstream school. And they were okay. just... You know, any any kid that was different was put into these classrooms. And so there was mm. kids that um, had, were deaf. There were kids that had motor impairments. There were kids that, you know, looked like they had autism. Um, you know, kids with uh, cerebral palsy and other types of... So everybody was just... If you were different, um, you didn't you couldn't make it in wow. the classroom. You were just put into these rooms. But there was no sensitivity whatsoever to what your diagnosis mm. was. And so we thought, you know, if we're going to start training teachers about autism education and working with kids with autism. We first have to know who has autism. And so uh, we brought a team over last year to do some diagnostic training. So we developed a a diagnostic protocol for them that was culturally sensitive to their country and trained them on it. And so we had a team of about five or six people over here. And they went back last year and set up the first diagnostic clinic in Africa with some support from a foundation over there. Oh, wow. And to date, they've seen about 60 kids. They've been able to you know, diagnose 
um, or put through this process about 60 kids. And so we're working with them right now kind of on fidelity measures and um, and further training to make sure that they can keep up with not only the research but also the demand for their services. Mm. I'm sure not all of our listeners truly appreciate 60 kids getting diagnosed in a year, um, but I have, I have a good friend who you know is working as the like the primary diagnostician in a in a community, and mm-hmm. I, I, so I have a pretty good idea what 60 really is. That's amazing, <laughs> right? Because um, it doesn't. I know it doesn't jump off like the listening to it, it doesn't like jump off the numbers like the way we talk about like <laughs> right. the hundreds and the thousands and, and how many kids are impacted. But to get 60 kids evaluated in a year is amazing. So, I mean, congratulations. That's really cool. Thank you. And we're so proud of them. They've worked tirelessly. I mean, they've flown all across the world to get these services. Yeah. They've you know, raised money and resources. And right, 60 isn't a lot when you think of yeah. the whole country of Nigeria, but it's a start. And I think that's the most important yeah. thing for Action Autism is getting places started, getting people to start thinking about these things and then take it to the next level. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, we're we're pretty much out of time. Um you got two great organizations, you got two great things you're working on. Um how can people get more information about uh, either one of them and, and keep up to date with uh with what you guys are doing? Absolutely. So our websites would be the best way. So for Action okay. Autism, our interna- international volunteer organization, the website is www.actionautism and that's action with two A's. So A A C T-I-O-N, autism.org. And for the technology that we're developing um, on the tablets, you can go to infiniteach.com. So that's I-N-F-I-N-I-T-E-A-C-H.com. And uh, I noticed just when I was on your website, it looks like the app is, you know, available through iTunes and all the, uh, all the classic um, places that you would expect to find it. Absolutely. So if you search on iTunes for SkillChamp, that was the name of our first app that we launched, you'll find it on the App Store. Uh, And then our next lookout for our next product coming in September. Awesome. Hey, Christopher, thank you so much for being on the show. It was great to talk to you and and learn about the the different things that you're doing. And um, it's just always cool to hear about how you know, resources are getting to people, particularly in these remote areas like you've been able to do with these uh, two cool organizations. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks everybody for listening today. I I like I like getting to to do shows like this where we get to cover a few different bases, um, particularly on the global front and on the technology front. Um, just because, like I said throughout, I I like that we're starting to bring the world together. You know, you, you guys probably know I'm you know, and, and as I said, I'm not, I'm not the biggest technology guy. I, I'm still. Uh, the old school ABA person who probably feels most comfortable with a pen and paper, you know, tally marking my data, um, sitting down, writing my notes in a notepad to sit and then have a, a face-to-face meeting at someone's kitchen table. But, um, but that's not realistic with the way this world is growing and, unfortunately, the way autism is growing. And we need to find ways to, to connect with one another. Um, and it, it feels like the as education is increasing, as our awareness is increasing, so too is uh, the increase in, in need because people are now starting to become more aware of what it is they need and what is it that we need. Um, so it's a great chance to 
to start to become more aware of, of what else is out there. And, and not that it's the answer, but it at least starts filling some of this void and, and, and allows us to build some momentum on um, a whole host of new opportunities, services, awareness. Um, and I think, you know, all the different things Chris is doing um, really goes a long way with that. So I think it's really cool. Um, anyway, I hope you guys have a great week. Um, have a great weekend. And, and, uh, and really take advantage of these last couple of days, maybe weeks of summer, depending on where you're at. So as, uh, as your kids are either heading back to school or about to head back to school, hope you guys all have a good one. And we'll talk to you next time. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. For additional information and resources about autism, visit www.learnitsystems.org backslash family. Know an inspiring group or individual we should talk to? We would love to hear more from you at moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Want to hear more? Listen to previous episodes at www.allautismtalk.com. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time.